Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope, that the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May this service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Oh, 
And so those who have a Bible, you can open up along with me a familiar place of scripture to us that still contains the depth of the wisdom and visions of God, of the inheritance of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Call to Perfection. This promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all time, and this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never have any relation to it. And to fulfill this command, we have stopped to study the purpose of God's righteousness in the heart of a person. What purpose is the righteousness of God in our heart intended to fulfill? which we have received as a gift according to the grace of the redemption of Christ. And specifically, we have been studying at the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony in which we, with the law, die to the law, so that we can live for the one who died and rose, is comprised of us receiving the affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets that are intended to give God the basis to give us the promise, not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, just as he had given it to Abraham and his seed. 
For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans chapter 4 verse 13. We have noted that the righteousness of faith in our heart is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, or our obedience to the preached word spoken by the messenger of God in the face of a person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. The faith of God is information, information that comes from hearing the word of God. Faith is from hearing, not from what you are going to read in scripture. It is necessary to read. And when you hear that which you have read through the anointing word of the messenger of God, then this word is living because God had created the world not with a written word but with the living word when he began to speak let there be light then that's where the light came to be therefore we must understand that it is specifically the living word that is that gives birth to faith in the heart when we hear the word and we accept it this is the faith of god and our obedience to the faith of god is our faith. This is the cooperation of our faith with the faith of God. And so the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who obey the order of God, cooperation with which he sends us his word through the mouth of the messengers of God. Why can people not accept in their heart the faith of God or information, but they accept all kinds of human foolishness, delusion, philosophies, stories, fables. From the pulpit, these fables are preached. The reason for this, there are two reasons. They are not students because no one wants to humble themselves. They say, I have my own head. And that's it. I can read scripture on my own and interpret it. And the second reason, his heart is not cleansed of dead works. This kind of heart cannot be the good soil that can accept a good seed. A good seed for good soil. Thus, the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God or the information that has come from the words of the messenger of God. In previous services, we in a certain format, as far as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, already studied the first six signs, and we have stopped to study the seventh sign. This is the sign uh, by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. So, holy love means selective. Holiness always separates from the pure from the impure, from the holy from the unholy, the lawless from the righteous. The wicked and the lawless fill churches. They are the category of those that are called but not chosen, or they are those who are called. Many are called but few are chosen. Each parable of Christ ended with these words, and all of these that are called, they are with us and we with them. And these we are all on the same field. But at the time of harvest, God sends his angels, and all of a sudden, these wheat are burst. They do not submit. They begin to uh, do, do lawlessness. They create their own synagogues of Satan. God binds them 
and he cast them out of these of his own churches and they separate among one another yet after separation they still acknowledge one another they separate and then they greet one another and they separate and they greet one another and accept one another but in, in reality this shouldn't be the case if they have separated this means that they have left us came out from us and that because they were never of us that means that they are antichrist john says there are many antichrists now in this world where have they come from they came from us because they were never of us if they were of us they would have remained with us but they have came out came out from us and in in doing so they affirm that they are not of us therefore according to scripture we must uh we must proclaim or we must say we must say about them that that they are wicked, wicked and lawless and all of a sudden I'm all of a sudden I'm seeing many different churches that they separated from one another and they have pastoral breakfast together what are they going to exchange what kind of meaning are they going to have they've separated but this is their own this is their own this is their own deal remember those who came out from us they excommunicated themselves we must not communicate with them and not even eat with them because they had distorted the truth they poured dirt over the church and then they say we love you well if you love us then why did you leave leave it is you who hated us and have left but above all these things put on love which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful Colossians chapter 3 verses 14 through 15 and we have noted that according to this passage the rule of the peace of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition if we are clothed in the selective love of God and again selective love is the same as the holy love so we don't allow people with tolerant thinking to manipulate this love that God loves everyone they say we've studied scripture and we see that God loves everyone they say I said well you've studied it poorly because in scripture it's more it says more of what God hates because his love it, is equal his love is equal to God's hatred toward evil and the carriers of evil and so this love of God will dwell in our hearts under one condition if we are clothed in this selective love of God and it's not God that is going to clothe us but we are called to clothe ourselves grow in love scripture wants us to grow in love love is the fulfillment of the commandments not an emotion true love is the discipline of the mind and heart that leads the sphere of our emotions and so for the selective love of God which is the goodness of God it contains good wonderful eternal and incomprehensible to our mind goals of God that are called to build unique and peaceful relationships between God and his children 
God does not build relationships with wicked and lawless people. He builds relationships with his children. Yes, his children might sin, but they remain his children. The reason? Because they have accepted justification as a gift. And therefore, when they fall, they are left righteous, the children of God. They don't become children of devil if they have sinned or are enticed by devil. And as soon as they fall, in their hearts there appears pain, a scorching pain that they have offended God. They feel loss, a loss of communication with God. And they begin to panic and search for reconciliation with God. And the Holy Spirit comforts them and says, Confess your sins, and I will immediately blot them out of my memory, and our relationship will be restored. The righteous may fall seven times and will get back up, but the wicked fall one time and will not get back up. The character, the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture through the preached war of the apostles and prophets in the light of seven unearthly virtues. Specifically, this is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. These are the components or the ingredients that are present in this fruit, in this love of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And we have noted that each individual virtue of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God. Third, these virtues are the great and precious promises given to us through Christ. Fourth, these virtues presented in seven characteristics are the incorruptible treasures and riches which we must become enriched with and which are called to be revealed during these end days. And we know the riches and the greatness of this revelation in the end days. It was kept quiet until the end days, and Apostle Peter said it will be revealed in these end days. Furthermore, we can enter into the inheritance of these virtues in the light of seven unearthly characteristics only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life. We are referring not the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the gift of tongues. People who speak in tongues in the first apostolic church, in their multitude, they are carnal people, infants, and they do not have the Spirit. Paul said to them, you do not have any lack in any gift, but you are carnal, those who do not have the Spirit. This is what he had called them, and this is what they are called today. And those who do not have the Spirit of the Lord, but who speak in tongues, and then all of a sudden, who said of themselves that they are spiritual, of course, it's impossible to at that point come close to them, neither the Holy Spirit nor any kind of truth. Because they, being carnal, they see themselves as spiritual. This is very dangerous. When a carnal person views him as spiritual, he can't be helped. 
And when I talk about some people that they are carnal, they are even offended instead of rejoicing. Because spiritual people don't believe every word. They are the foolish that believe every word, but the spiritual don't believe every word. Spiritual people, they honor the order of God, and they humble themselves before the messenger of God or before his word. They fulfill it in completeness. Six, the means we are called to enact for the acceptance of the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seven, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the fruit of our spirit, we are made partakers of God's essence, because of which the proclamation of the faith of our heart becomes equal to the words coming from the mouth of God. A true virtue expressed in the seven dignities and characteristics of the selective love of God has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. We begin to study the selective love of God in the format of seven virtues that we must demonstrate in our faith to reign the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly bodies into the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. And this is in the dimension of time. Until our bodies are transformed into a heavenly body. But we today can, in our human body, carry the image of a heavenly body in the promise, in the promise that tells us that God will return to us the valley of Achor at the door of hope. So he is going to return to us immortality and decay will escape our bodies because Christ was, was immortal when he was born. His body was earthly, but it had the origin from heaven. It was not from man. It carried the image of a heavenly body so that we can understand. Because some people think that they are going to carry the image of the heavenly when they are going to be raptured. No, it's before rapture that this will occur. Specifically, those people who accept this promise, it is going to be a guarantee and evidence that they are going to be raptured. Raptured will be only that category of people who are going to have this promise of the resurrection. And the resurrection, what is it? It is the result of the death. It is according to the result of death that the angels of God can easily differ and distinguish who can be raptured and who will not be raptured. Where the carcasses, there the eagles will gather. This is this means that this person has died to sin. If you have not died to sin, you are not going to be able to use the truth of the resurrection of Christ. All right. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God in relation to the seven virtues is unconditional. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and his absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. Verse 
Just as in this world, people say, "Oh, we are modern people. Let's 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 remain friends. Let's separate, but let's let's remain friends. Come and say this to God with your tolerant, evil thinking. All right, God, let's separate, but let's remain in in good relations." Uh, well, I just I need to sin. This is this is something that my uh, that I need. But uh, let's remain friends. You are going to be uh, drop kicked into into hell into the hands of the demons. Therefore, the tolerant love of man toward man can be easily used for selfish purposes. And here are how the pages of Scripture define the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. And so, the level of the love of God is defined by the level of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and those who practice evil. So, the carriers of evil. Because evil and good outside of a programmable device of the human heart cannot demonstrate, cannot manifest themselves. How can a program without a computer do anything? You can't unlock this program without a computer to use it. It needs to be placed into a programmable device, into a computer. Same thing as good and evil. It cannot react and act in man until you place it into a programmable device, which is the heart of a person. It is for the heart of a person that is led uh, a battle between the powers of darkness and the powers of light in order to have it, in order to place a program there. But the decision lies with man. Man chooses what kind of carrier of what program he is going to be, either good or evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. And one more. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. And again, we're talking about not the wicked and those who love violence that are in the world, the atheists. We're talking about those people who are found among us and they sit on our left and right side along with us. Uh, in a little sense, this doesn't mean that on your left and right side, the wicked are sitting with you right now. No, these are your neighbors. But in the literal sense of the world, churches are filled with these wicked and lawless people. And only the small amount of people that languish for holiness and that stand as a rock among the stormy waters of these lusts. These lusts that represent that are represented by, by the people of the wicked. And they don't walk along their tightrope. They have fallen in love with the holiness of God and they are ready to pay any kind of price in order to be carriers of this holiness. Because only by loving what God loves and hating what God hates do we demonstrate the perfection of God and His reaction to the good of righteous people who do good and the unrighteous people who do evil and lawlessness.
It is the selective love of God according to its unearthly nature in the format of seven supernatural virtues that is called to bring us to the full measure of Christ or to the perfection that is inherent to our Heavenly Father so that we can shine with the light of our Son on the righteous and unrighteous and pour out our rain according to the intentions of God on the just for blessings and the unjust for punishment. Consider, however, that these seven virtues do not have analogies in the earthly dimension of the human lexicon, nor the dictionaries of this world. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral law that reveals in our heart the essence of God as well as the essence of the kingdom of heaven. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love that is unconditional only in relation to those people whom it chooses to understand it. Foreknowledge. We have some that God is omnipotent. Due to his omnipotence and omnipresence, God simultaneously dwells in the past, present, and future. And eternity stands over the past, present, and future. And therefore, God, before he created the world, he already knew us. He already foreknew us. It's not him who made us this way. He takes that which, which is. He had already foreknown that when he is going to speak his truth, when the information is poured out that comes from his source through his people, some are going to accept this truth on those conditions which it will be preached in, and others will say, I have my own head. I don't understand it this way. And therefore, those who have their own head and who don't understand it this way, there will be a multitude of them. And they're going to head to perdition. But those few that are going to say, Lord, let your will be done. We throw out our understanding and our own opinion and we want to represent only that order which you offer us. If each person has his own head and each person will... Um, offer his own order up in the church, this will be chaos and not a house of prayer. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And thanks to its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates legal rights and relationships with those people whom it selects. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not opening. He could open it. He has enough power and authority, just as people of this world do. They sometimes, they don't even use their hands to open the door. They kick it open, trying to show their authority. God knocks on the door, and sometimes years and years and years pass. But he knocks and waits for when a person will mature in order to hear his voice, to open the door to him. And of course, he does not knock on the hearts of those people, of those who are called. They are not worthy of this. God will never place his wisdom into a foolish heart. He knocks on the hearts of only those who are his, and he knows those who are his. And even going to his own people, he does not open the door, but he knocks that they themselves can open this door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and whoever hears this voice, I will come in 
to him and will dine with him and he with me. This isn't in relation to the world. This is in relation to people who have in their hearts Thumim and Urim that would give them the opportunity and the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And for God, Urim and Thumim would give the opportunity and the basis to hear man. Therefore, God's love never violates legal rights in relationships with those people whom it selects, and it never allows the sovereign rights of its master to be violated. In a certain format, we have already studied the manifestation of the selective love of God in the virtues of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and patience. We have stopped to study the virtue of the love of God and the mystery of her godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And all of this God has done through the proclamation of his faith those whom he foreknew and those whom he selected to be in the image of his son. It is through the manifestation of the fruit of godliness that we can identify the true love of God agape in the heart of man as well as his thoughts, words, actions, the way in which he dresses, which must not excite the sexual instincts of the opposite sex. We mentioned that there exists a key difference in the godliness of God demonstrated in his favor toward man from the godliness of man, which he must demonstrate in his love toward God. For example, the godliness of man is his favor to God, and he himself first must show this respect and honor toward God. If you will come to me, then I will come to you. If you turn to me, I will turn to you. The godliness of man is his favor to God, it's his goodness to God and his gratitude. It's the ability to look upon orphans and widows and their afflictions and to keep oneself from being defiled by the world. The godliness of man is the ability to imitate Christ and to think of what is heavenly. It means to seek God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. Whereas God's godliness is his goodness, it's his grace and favor, his gratitude that he has turned to him and has accepted justification on his conditions. Therefore, God's godliness in relation to man is his goodness, uh, his favor and propitiation, it's his gratitude and grace, it's his good deed and good giving, it's his good in its absolute sense. Despite these characteristics that are called to yield the essence of godliness, a forgery of godliness exists that will challenge the true manifestation of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. You see here, those who tolerant people, Scripture everywhere where it talks about God's love, there it also mentions, if these people do not coincide with the requirements of my godliness, depart from them. Don't invite them as guests, guests 
and don't go to their house when they invite you, despite the fact that you will be in one church. Because either they have not yet grown, if you don't have knowledge that they have not yet grown, and that they are simply carnal people, but they want to, they have desire, and they are in turmoil, you should invite these people that do not go against scripture. They have not yet changed their character, but they don't go against it. They are in turmoil over their character. But if they, being, they have put on the toga of godliness but deny its power, don't invite them and don't go over to their houses. And if we do not work off relations with people who have an, only an outward appearance of godliness, they will corrupt our godliness consisting of our good morals. Because of this, we, together with them, will inherit the destruction prepared for them. With regard to this factor, it was necessary for us to answer four classic questions. With what characteristics does Scripture endow the godliness of God and man? What purpose is godliness called to fulfill in the relationship of God with man and man with God? What conditions are necessary to fulfill for our godliness to collaborate with the godliness of God? And by what signs should we define that our godliness truly collaborates with the godliness of God? In a certain format, we have already studied two signs of the fourth question with which we must verify the cooperation of our godliness with the godliness of God. And we have stopped to study the third sign. The third sign by which we must test to see that in showing the selective will of God, our godliness cooperates with the godliness of God is by the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Psalms chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Evidence that God is our shepherd in this Psalm of David are four components. This is, first, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. Second, the Lord leads me beside still waters. Third, the Lord restores my soul. And fourth, the Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. To test and weigh ourselves on the scales of justice to see if we have these components should be done by the presence of four other components that are discovered when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. First, we will fear no evil because God is with us. Second, the Lord's rod and staff, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they will comfort us. Third, God has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And fourth, God has anointed our head with oil and our cup runs over. In a certain format, we have already examined the essence of the first three signs in our heart that serve as evidence that our Lord is our shepherd. And we have stopped to study the fourth sign in our heart, which says, The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. 
Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Psalms chapter 84, verses 5 through 6. When the Lord guides a person on the path to righteousness, this means that this person is led by the Holy Spirit. Because it is impossible to lead a person on the paths of righteousness against his will, if he does not understand and does not distinguish the paths of righteousness from the paths of his mind, or from the paths of the wicked and lawless who support the wicked. The paths of righteousness are the snares of the Most High, while the paths of the wicked are their snares into which they catch unapproved souls. In Hebrew, the path of righteousness is first and foremost the snare of righteousness, it's a step of righteousness, the foot of righteousness, trace of righteousness, the path of the righteousness to the wisdom of God. It is the growth, increase, and the expansion on the paths of righteousness. It is partaking to the body of Christ on the paths of righteousness. Proceeding from such multiple meanings, which determine the essence of the paths of righteousness in order to understand how God guides us on the paths of righteousness and test ourselves on the subject of what spirit we are led by, the Holy Spirit or the spirit alien to God. In a nutshell, we must consider some of the purposes of the paths of righteousness in the presented components. And with this, it should be borne in mind that all these components which determine the purpose of the paths of righteousness are dissolved in each other, are in each other, support each other, and determine the authenticity of each other. And so, the next property of a path of righteousness is expresses itself in the heart of a person in the just ways of the Lord. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be like an olive tree, and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do anymore with idols? I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. This is the prophecy of Hosea, chapter 14, verses 5 through 9. And so, in order... The purpose of the truth in the heart is comprised of separating lawless people by way of their following the just paths of the Lord for the people who are wise and understanding in heart. The image of dew on the ways of the Lord is the image of the teaching of a person who is clothed in the fatherhood of God and his helpers. 
Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. The name Israel has various meanings, the meaning which finds itself in a warrior prayer. God cannot be due for Israel if Israel is called this name but does not meet the requirements of a warrior prayer in order to hear what God says through the preached word of his messengers and with joy immediately fulfills what is heard. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as a seed. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. By knowing the ways of the Lord, by hearing and accepting in her heart the preached seed of the word of truth, Forgive me. I haven't seen an ant like this in ever. I have sent him to the other side. And therefore, by knowing the ways of the Lord, by hearing and accepting in our heart the preached seed of the word of truth, we will grow like a lily. Second, we will lengthen our roots like Lebanon. Third, our branches shall spread. Fourth, our beauty shall be like an olive tree. And fifth, our scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. In short definitions, we will try to look at these components that are the components on the righteous path of the Lord and in that sequence in which they are presented. First, the program of the life of God accepted in the good soil of the heart through hearing the preached word of the word becomes in our heart the faith of God that grows like a lily. The image of a seed from which a lily grows is the seed of truth that contains the program of the kingdom of heaven which we received in the good soil of our heart by hearing and submitting to the word of truth. So, the wise and understanding heart of a person is the programmable device for the program of the life of God that is contained in the seed of the word of truth. Consider the lilies how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind, for all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. The faith of God in the dignity of a growing lily becomes the glory of God in our heart, clothing us in protection from our worry about what we should eat and drink. Second, the program of the life of God, accepted in the good soil of the heart through hearing the preached seed of the word, becomes the cedar of Lebanon that lengthens its roots. 
which gives us the ability to be rooted in the Holy Spirit in our inner man. He would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. In this place of scripture, the riches of the glory of God that yields the faith of God in our heart that was presented in the growing lily discovers itself in the cedar of Lebanon that lengthens its roots. You see here, one comes from the other. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The image of the Lebanese mountains is an image of the promises of God which we receive in the house of the Lord. Receiving the promise of God in our heart through faith, we become righteous in the eyes of God and receive the ability to be affirmed by the Holy Spirit in our inmost man. Thus, being filled with the fear of the Lord, which is the fruit of wisdom, grown from the seed of the words of truth are fruitful, juicy, and fresh, to proclaim that the Lord is righteous, my stronghold, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Considering that the word old, old age, saying they shall bear fruit in old age, they shall be fresh and flourishing, in this we should see it in a different light. Specifically, being filled with the fear of the Lord, which is the fruit of wisdom grown from the same, the words of truth are fruitful, juicy and fresh, to proclaim that the Lord is righteous, a stronghold, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Third, the program of the life of God accepting the good soil of the heart through hearing the preached word of the word becomes in our heart the branches of the cedar of Lebanon that spread. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. In this place of scripture, the root of the cedar of Lebanon discovers itself in its spreading branches. Only being rooted in the love of God, agape, in the cedar that are planted on the hills of Lebanon, which is the congregation of saints, we can acknowledge with all of the saints the promise of the width expanding in the cedar of Lebanon. The width of the branches of the cedar of Lebanon is comprised of maintaining the inheritance given by God in the adoption of our body with the redemption of Christ, which still remains in the captivity of death. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand the to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations, and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood any more. For your Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. You will say, what, is, what are these cities? 
Да, в нашем теле есть города. Yes, in our body there are cities. There are the systems of our body that are given promises and that are buried, in which we decided that God will fulfill them in the new heaven and the new earth. But these promises are not needed there. These promises are needed here on earth. Therefore, God here on earth created such circumstances and will give such faith through His Word that the people of God will grow faith and the promise will resurrect. In this grave, these emptied cities will be inhabited by these promises. Fourth, the program of the life of God accepted in the good soil of the heart through hearing the preached seed of the Word becomes in our heart the beauty of an olive tree. Psalms 52 verses 8 through 9 But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it and in the presence of your saints I will wait on your name for it is good. And so, first, the beauty of an olive tree is comprised of the fact that out of the fruits of the olive tree, oil was obtained for the golden vessel that stood on the southern side of the temple. This is an image of our thinking, our ships, our Tarshish ships, the merchants that carry these promises, because in order to proclaim something, it is necessary for this to go through our mind, through our ships that will carry our our proclamations to the goal set by God. And you shall command the children of Israel that, that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light, to cause a lamp to burn continually in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to the generations on behalf of the children of Israel. Exodus chapter 27, verses 20 through 21. So here we are talking about how our spirit is going to be living. It is going to burn. If it dies out, then it's not going to be possible to ignite it again. And this burning is possible only from this olive oil. So you will be Second, the oil from the olive tree anointed prophets, priests, kings, and the leprous. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron, anoint him, and consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest, and you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father, and they may minister to me as priests, for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Third, from olive trees, doors were made for entrance into the inner sanctuary. This one-fifth of the wall, the doorpost were the one-fifth of the wall, this means the fivefold ministry. All the promises of Christ in Jesus, says Paul, are to the glory of God through us. Only through them, through this fivefold ministry, through this one fifth of the wall that you can enter. From the for the entrance of the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood. The lintel and doorposts were one fifth of the wall. The two doors were of olive wood, and he carved on them figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and overlaid them with gold. And he spread gold in the cherubim and on the palm trees. Fourth, from olive wood were made two cherubims that were to each ten cubits height, high, ten cubits from the tip of one wing and to the tip of the other in order to cover the golden ark of the covenant. Inside the inner sanctuary he made two cherubim of olive wood. 
each 10 cubits high. One wing of the chair was 5 cubits, and the other wing of the chair 5 cubits. 10 cubits from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. And the other chair was 10 cubits. Both cherubim were the same size and shape. The height of one chair was 10 cubits, and so was the other chair. Then he set the cherub inside the inner room, and they stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wing of one touched one wall, and the wing of the other touched the other wall, and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. Fifth, the program of the life of God accepted in the good soil of our heart through the hearing the preached word becomes in our heart the fragrance like the wine of Lebanon. Concerning the image of cedar is an image of the righteousness of the heart that in the proclamations of the faith of the heart creates righteousness and the justice of God, that each time we fulfill the justice of God, we spread the fragrance of cedar. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. If, coming to God, we do not have the program of divine life in the seat of the preached word on the ways of the Lord, we will lose the deposit of our salvation, because of which our names will forever be blotted out of the book of life. Amen. Let us bow, bow our heads, bend our knees in prayer, and we will pray. We wait for you in this place, whoever desires to be rid of the way of lawlessness and sin, of their lusts and their flesh, of the chains, of their pride and their souls that has not yet been crucified. We wait for you in this place. The Lord can restore you in relations with his mercy, and he can demonstrate and show his glory upon you. Amen. Let us pray.
I will pray along with you with your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He is not against you. Your eyes closed as an element of the mystery room. Your hands raised to the heavens, a sign that the Lord is ready right now to heal you, to cleanse you, and to demonstrate to you His mercy and His wisdom. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. My heart is open. You see my pain. You see my fall. You see my sin, my shame. I despise sin. I despise the lusts that are burning in my body. I ask you, deliver me from the shame. Protect me from sin. Protect me from the, my own lusts that desire to swallow me up. I love your law, but without your help, I am powerless. I believe in your help, the help of your word, living, mighty. And right now, before heaven and hell, I accept in my heart freedom from all sin, healing from all illness, destruction of the power of death and the erection of the power of life. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Your sins are forgiven in your lawlessness and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he come down upon you with his holy countenance and have mercy upon you. May he give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands, but not draw near you. May all of the blessings of the ancient hills and the everlasting mountains come upon you. May all this come upon you and upon your descendants and may be fulfilled upon you. And let the nation say, Amen. And I will ask you all to stand and we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you fault, present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.